Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits, episode 130, as we look at testimony and proof. And I want to um, to consider a few things, but before I do that, I do just want to mention that at the time of this recording, Today is Jerusalem Day in Israel, and Israel needs your prayers. They are being bombarded with rockets and attacks at this moment. My phone keeps going off with red alerts, so please keep Israel and Jerusalem in your prayers. We are commanded in Scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in Psalm 122. Jerusalem is the Lord's city. It has his name on it. And one day soon, he's going to come back to his city, and he will rule and reign as king over all the earth from his city in Jerusalem. So we need to pray for Israel. And so I would ask you to perhaps join me in doing that today and in the near future as they are being attacked. I want to look today in 1 John again. I know I've been in a couple of other places in a few videos, few episodes here recently because of Mother's Day and so forth. But today I want to go back to 1 John chapter 4. And I'd like for us to read a few verses as we continue through 1 John chapter 4. In verse 12, I plan on reading verses 12 through 16 today and discussing that briefly. Let me read those for us first. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he and He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about this. First of all, he starts off this section by making this declaration as a part of verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Now, this obviously is true in the sense that we have not seen the full face of the Lord. We've, we've not been in his glorious presence in that sense. And I want to explain why that is true. God is love. Yes, he is. He is also just and he is many things. One of the things that God is, is God is holy. The Bible even says in Hebrews that God is a consuming, an all-consuming fire. There is no way that in our flesh we would be able to stand fully in the presence of God without being burned up, because even the best that we have is still imperfect in His presence. And Moses, you might say, well, let's consider Moses. Moses did probably come the closest to seeing God face to face. 
But even Moses had to be covered and protected. Even Moses was, the Lord said when he wanted to see his glory, when he wanted to see him in his fullness, God says, you can't do it, Moses. You can't. I'll cover you with my hand in the cleft of the rock and you'll be able to see a portion. You'll be able to see some, but I can't let you see it all because it'll burn you up. You're not able to see it all. So we might say that Moses came the closest in the Old Testament for sure in perhaps doing that. But even in that, Moses was protected by the Lord because of God's great love. Then we come to the New Testament and we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about Paul and Paul's encounter when he went up into the third heaven, he said, and he was caught up there. Now, he didn't describe a lot of what he saw, but he said he heard words that were inexpressible, things that he couldn't, it wouldn't even be lawful for him to utter right now because they were so glorious and, and so magnificent, the presence of God. Then we read in John about in the book of Revelation about John the Apostle and all that he saw and how he, you know, could be another one that came perhaps close to being able to see the fullness of God's glory and probably the greatest glimpse of God's glory and the fullness of his glory came through the Lord himself to Peter, James, and John on the high mountain that he took them upon, most likely Mount Hermon in the northern part of Israel. And Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. And they were able to see the veil of his flesh pulled back long enough for his glory to shine through the brightness and the radiance as he talked there with Moses and Elijah. So the brightness of God's glory is a wonderful thing. And we will be able to see him face to face one day when we have been perfected in heaven. Hallelujah. Perhaps John's point here, though, is not so much focusing on that as it is in how we became expressions of seeing God. And, and I don't mean that in a, in a way where we are going to be gods or we're godlike or we become little gods or none of that. No, that's not what he's saying here. But Perhaps he is pointing out, I would say two things. One is that we are God's representatives on earth. In other words, when he made Adam and Eve, he made us to be in a sense like mirrors where we reflect God's glory and God's goodness to those in the earth. In, in a sense, you know, mirror a mirror does not have its own image, so to speak. You walk in front of a mirror and it's going to reflect back to you what has been put in front of it. And so in a sense, when God created man and our focus is on the Lord, then we have the opportunity as his faithful followers, as true disciples and believers in Jesus Christ to mirror his reflection to the world. So perhaps that's part of what John is really saying here. The other thing that came to me as I read this and I tried to understand it was perhaps he's also saying that even though we do not see God with physical eyes day to day, 
yet we are blessed and we can know that he is in us and with us and can be seen through us as his representatives on earth. Those were the things that I think perhaps John is focusing on here that his main point is. Yes, nobody might be able to see God face to face right now, but we can know that he is in us. We don't have to see him with our physical eyes. We can know it, and it's proven by our obedience to him and by our ability to love him and to reflect him to others. In verse 13, he says this, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Now he's going to take it a step further. He says, Because he has given us of his spirit. In other words, the proof that we are his and that he is ours, that he is in us and we are in him, is the Holy Spirit in us us. Hallelujah. That is the proof. So then he goes on and he says, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. So the Holy Spirit is in us. And because of this, because we are in God, we have been able to see and understand, perceive and have that intimate knowledge and revelation as well as to testify that the Father, God the Father, has in fact sent Jesus, his Son, as the Savior of the world. So here we see the connection of the Trinity. I want to look back briefly at John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, he's talked about the vine and us being the branches, and he's called us and chosen us to bear fruit. And then he goes on and he goes on and he talks about how um, the world hates you. They hate you because they hated me. Um, he talks about how a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. And he goes on down and he says, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had done among them the works for which no one else did, they would have, have no sin. But now that they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And then he quotes from the Old Testament scriptures. But notice this in verse 26. But when the helper, the Holy Spirit of God comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit always will testify and confess and always speak in agreement with Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit is desiring to glorify and testify of the Son, of Jesus. And so John is making that connection here. He says, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we also now testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, this is a very important scripture and one that we can contend for in the faith, this is the truth of God. Whoever confesses 
That word means to declare in agreement with, to avow, frankly, to ascend to or acknowledge, admit, to say the same thing as or concede and not to deny. So the people, the, the ones who confess, who agree to this fact and declare it out of their own mouths, avowing and admitting that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Just like when Jesus had the disciples with him and he asked them, he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, you know, Elijah, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, etc. He said, but who do you say that I am? You see, that's where it all gets down to. Each individual person must answer that question themselves. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God, that rock of revelation that God the Father came and gave to him or gave to him in that moment, said and declared in agreement with the truth he avowed, you, Jesus, the Messiah, are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the promised one of old. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He declared that Jesus is the Son of God. And every true Christian, every true believer will have that same declaration. Jesus is the Son of God. And he has come in the flesh. And that's a lot of what John has been trying to communicate here. We must believe that because it is the truth. And John wants us to know that we know that we know that it's the truth. And that by believing in that, we have eternal life. And we are in God. And God is in us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Oh, friend, do you know and believe the love, the agape that God has for you? We've talked about that in another episode or earlier, earlier, another episode or two. And we talked about agape. We talked about it being a self-sacrificing love. We talked about how the greatest picture of that love that you will ever see anywhere is when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Romans 5 tells us that that's how God demonstrated his love for us, was that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He died for you. He died for me. Praise God for the beautiful love of God that he has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. God is love. We've heard this many times, and what he's saying here is that real love, agape love, the highest form of love, abides and is, in, is found only in one place, and that is the true and living God of the Bible. God the Father, the living God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is love because he is the only source of true love. And so this forms a bit of a summation of some of the earlier things that we've been talking about in this same chapter and in earlier passages. John is wanting us to know real love that God has for us and that as we have believed in him, that same love of God is in us. His spirit is in us. And we then have the privilege to reflect him to the world and to glorify Jesus Christ, which is exactly the same thing that the Holy Spirit is doing and will continue to do. I pray that this particular bless this episode, this particular episode has been a blessing to you. And we, we hope that you can continue to join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name.